0: We'll be in Matthew 5, verse 43, and Lord willing, we'll finish up through 48 today. Um, just a reminder of catch-up. That sounded weird, a reminder of catch-up. As a reminder for us to catch up, so to make sure we're all on the same page, we're Going through Matthew, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount for uh, quite a bit now. We're, in the, we're finishing a section in the Sermon on the Mount of Jesus' teaching of Him giving some correction on some misinterpretations of God's law, some uh, misuse, some abuse of God's law. Remember that this is an audience probably mostly a, a Jewish audience who understood or had an understanding, who had heard the law most of their lives, but also probably a mixed, uh, a mixed bag of also some leaders who might have, some shepherds who might have led them astray in their understanding and in the teaching of God's law. And maybe some confusion as Jesus has come onto the scene. This is his first recorded sermon in Matthew 5, not that he hadn't spoke before this, but definitely he pointed out in, uh, the, towards the beginning of Matthew chapter 5 um, that he had not come to abolish the law. That he hadn't come to change it, but more or less he had come to fulfill it. Not more or less, he had come to fulfill it. And then so, in the last half of Matthew 5, he gives clarity to what the law calls us to, what the law is demanding of us, and he wants to right some wrongs in how they, it has been interpreted and how it was being followed. A couple weeks ago, we'd gotten to verse 38, and Jesus, as he had said in the, first, the last few passages, you have heard that it was said, And in 38, he said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, which was God's law, which was given to Moses and Israel in the Old Testament. In judicial circumstances, in um, retribution, in retaliation, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. But Israel had taken it as in, I'm going to take justice into my own hands. I'm going to seek my own vengeance. I'm going to grab my own restitution. The law has become and been put into my hands. But what clearly God intended was that the eye for an eye, the tooth for a tooth, that the justice was to be served by the governing authority, not within the individual households or from neighbor to neighbor. On contrary, Jesus says if someone slaps you, Do not fight back. He says, do not resist the evil one. Turn the cheek. He says, if someone forces you into labor or to walk a mile, go another mile. If, If someone wants to unlawfully take something that belongs to you, not only give it to them, but give them something else as well. Do not seek your own vengeance. He says... But vengeance is mine. It's in the hands of God. So then the question would they'd come up in someone's mind, but what about my enemy though? They are my enemy. And we've been told in the law, love our neighbor. What about our enemy? You're talking about an evil one. And it's as if Jesus is anticipating this question in their mind. And it's where we get to in verse 43. For we see Jesus gives this statement in 43, you shall love your or that you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And so last week our original goal was to approach this passage and to look at it. But as I spent time and time and time studying through it and thinking about it, realizing what we're being called to do We spent some time last week considering this wondrous love of God to us through the cross of Christ. Because to ultimately love your neighbor, to pray for those who persecute you, you need the love of Christ to motivate you, to compel you, to control you. You need the love of Christ in your mind and in your heart to do anything that God calls you to do. And so here we are today, uh, looking at what he gives us in the command of to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So before we, we're just going to walk through it verse by verse this week. Um, I'll try to give us some headings as we go along to kind of help uh, help us track along. But let me say a quick prayer as we cry out to the Lord for guidance. Father. We ask that your spirit would be upon us today, that as I speak, I speak your words and the the words that are heard might be heard with the, the open ears and eyes of the spirit upon us. Lead us, guide us, that we might know more, love you greater, and seek your face even more. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So let's read this, and then after we read this, we're going to jump back to Leviticus 19, just to read the words that are in the Old Testament that are are, uh, somewhat alluded to. So 43, in Matthew 5, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So we, we, we see in the beginning in verse 43 a twisting of Scripture, a twisting of the law to be contorted and conformed in a way that would allow them to say, Hey, look at me. I'm obeying because I love the people I'm supposed to love. And I can hate the people I'm supposed to hate. So let's look at Leviticus 19 and see if that's what God said. Leviticus 19. So we've got uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. And then if you get to Numbers and Deuteronomy, you need to keep going a little bit further to the left. Leviticus 19. It's a good chapter to read uh. I would commend you to to read this chapter in your own time, but for the sake of our time together, uh, let's just start in. We'll just start in thirteen. Okay, let's let's let's. Let's be honest with ourselves as we read this. How would we interpret it? If someone said, hey, this is what I need you to do. This is what you're commanded to do. How would you take it? All right, let's just try to be as honest as we can. Verse 13 in Leviticus 19. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear the Lord, fear your God. I am the Lord. Verse 15 You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Verse 17. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incurse sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Okay, so how could we be confused here? How could they have been so confused to take what God has said and make their own law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy? Now, let's be gracious to the Israelites. They're human in the same way that we are. And let's see if we could just work through some reasons why they might have got this wrong. Now, to me, verse 17 and 18 would really give me some confusion. Maybe if I wanted to Within my own sinful heart, kind of make my own law about who my neighbor is. Verse 17, you shall not hate your brother. Okay? You shall not hate your brother. Now, you could take that in multiple ways. The most obvious would be your brother. You're right. Your sibling. Don't hate your sibling. Okay, I'm on board with that. You could also look at it from the perspective of Israel. They're a nation from a lineage of Abraham. They don't, they don't mix with other nations as they've been commanded to by God. And so you could also see this as, don't hate your brother as in another Israelite. That, that could You could almost draw that conclusion. Um, you should not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall see you shall reason frankly with your neighbor okay again a neighbor I'm not supposed to hate my brother I reason frankly with my neighbor so okay I could see how my brother Israel within Israel this I can work with this neighbor equals brother, brother equals neighbor okay good verse eighteen you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. Okay. Again, I can see. Israel, we're talking about Israel here. We're talking about our brothers. We're talking about our neighbors, right? But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Again. So, the equation of sons of your own people equal neighbor. Pretty straightforward. I could see how we could just narrow down our love towards our own people. Then you have to also consider the history of Israel in Canaan after this law was given between the time of Jesus. Do you know how many people died at the hands of Israel that were not of Israel? How many cities were slaughtered because God told them to go and kill the people of Jericho, Ai, whatever city was there. So God had a specific intention for Israel and he tells them, love your brother, love your neighbor, love the sons of Israel. Now I want you to go and kill them. I might get a little confused there. I might look at them as my enemy because God has declared them His enemy. And then I'll say, okay, I see our history with our enemy and I know that God has called me to love my brother. Now here's the problem there. When we do that, when we look at what God has willed, decreed, and ordained to take place, we cannot assume that we know His intention. We cannot assume his, um, his position towards someone as our position towards someone. If God hates sinners, does that give us the right to run around here saying, I hate you sinner, I hate you sinner, I hate you sinner? No. Why could God declare hatred towards a sinner? because he is God right because he is holy meaning there is no one like him there is no one who can walk up to the Lord and say I'm doing pretty good right no wrong he declares judgment wrath condemnation upon sinners do we no So I could, I could see how Israel would look at this. But when we look at God's actions in a big picture and then try to transpose them on how we ought to act, we could get in trouble. Because guess what? God brought Israel into Canaan and wiped everybody out. When we look at the, the Crusades of the Middle Ages, When Christianity tried to spread by the sword. That was against the Lord's will. That was against the Lord's will. And so we cannot impose how God has acted over time. And say this is also how we are to behave. And I could understand how Israel might have gotten to this place. Where they said it is okay for me to only love my neighbor. And it is okay for me to hate my enemy. But there is one problem if you read all of 19. He tells them to take care of the sojourner. He tells them to take care of the one who's not from them. And so there is hints that neighbor does not equate to just your brother or your kinsman we'll get to there in just a minute. So let's go back to Matthew 5. So that is how they could have misinterpreted this passage in Leviticus 19. How over time they have twisted the scripture into something that God never, ever intended. But then Jesus untangles the truth here. He entangles the truth here in verse 44 when he says, But I say to you, love your enemies. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, I want us to take a step back to last week to remind ourselves what love looks like in the eyes of God. It's humble and it's hard. It's selfless and it's dirty. And we use the example of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples, how he took off his outer garment and got low and washed the feet of the disciples, and how that we can we could think about that today to wash someone's feet. How humiliating and potentially dirty that is. But yet that was just a tiny, tiny, tiny picture of the humiliation and the dirt that Christ bore on the cross. The humiliation of being hung naked, of having arms stretched wide and nailed upon a cross in a physical sense, but then the dirt that He bore of our sin upon the cross. His love is hard and humble, hard hard and humble, selfless and dirty. And so we have to think those, we have to think through that lens of love when it says love our enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Uh, It'd be tempting to say, oh, I'll pray for them all day. I got it. That's fine. I can handle that. I can pray for those who don't love me. I can pray for those who persecute me and then never take a step in actual love. And use words in our own private prayer closet, and say, "Oh, I am obedient to God, just because I set a little, I set a little bit of time to pray for some somebody who might not uh, love me the way that they should." We got to be careful in that. Um, so, let's think about this. Oh no, Actually, flip over a page or two to Matthew five. And we'll get to this one day. I'm sorry, Matthew 7, wrong way. Verse 13. When we think about the love of Christ and what we're called to do to love our enemy, to pray for those who persecute you, and we think that this love is hard, this love is dirty, gets dirty. Verse 13 in in Matthew 7 Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. This is the verse I want you to see. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Are you going to obey Jesus? It's a hard narrow path. It ain't easy. We always we have we have within us the we have in us a mechanism to choose the easy path. Boys, you think it's easy or hard to obey Your parents. I see some smiles. But that's the truth. Right, girls? It's harder to be obedient than it is to be disobedient. Because, not because of what you've been told to do, but because of your sinful nature. Everything within you says... I have to give up something in order to be obedient. I have to do something that my own selfish desires does not want to do. I really like that chocolate candy that's hidden on the counter and it's really hard not to go and get it and to eat it. It's really easy to see my enemy and to scoff at him or to just turn around and walk the other way. That's really easy. But the love of Christ that calls us to love our enemy is hard. And that hard way is the way of life, is the way to the narrow gate. And only few find it. So Jesus is untangling this truth that it's not our love is not just towards our neighbor or towards our brother, but... As we turn to Luke 10, he actually explains here and in Luke 10 that our neighbor actually includes our enemy. Our neighbor includes our enemy. Now, we know the parable, the story of... The Good Samaritan, right? We we know it well, um, but let us read through it for the sake of reading this and 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 thinking about it and loving our enemy. Verse twenty-five of Luke ten. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, "Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life?" Now, remember, the way to eternal life is. Easy or hard? It's hard. We keep that in mind. He said said to him in verse 26, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, the one who asked the question, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, You answer correctly. Do this, and you will live. Nothing there about enemy. Verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, meaning, he says, okay, all right, I got to love the Lord. I got to love my neighbor. Okay, so I make sure that I am right before the Lord and I love my neighbor. Can you just please tell me who that is? Can you set boundaries so I know I have to just love that person? He's wanting to justify the love that he is going to show people. He's wanting to make himself right before God by setting boundaries on who he is actually supposed to love. And Jesus knows this. Jesus knows this. 29, but he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus said, I'm glad you asked. Sit down. I have a story to tell you. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So the, inf- the inference there is he's an Israelite. We can infer he's an Israelite. A man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest, a.k.a. an Israelite, was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Okay, so if I saw one of you on the side of the road with a flat tire and you have your tire iron in hand and I just like, oh, hi, and just drive on by. That's sort of what we're looking at here. He just went on by. Did not pay him one mind. So then, verse 32, so likewise a Levite also an Israelite, when he, meaning a brother, when he came to the place and saw him, he also passed on, by on the other side, but a Samaritan. Now we have to stop and make sure that you understand. A Samaritan to an Israelite, to a Jew, is a half-breed. Right? Scum, low, enemy. But a Samaritan... As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He had compassion. Now we could do a sermon on that one word. That word in the Latin means to suffer with. to suffer with. Verse 34, he went to him. I want you to see all of the action statements of the Samaritan. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii that were his and gave to the innkeeper saying take care of him and whatever more you spend i will repay i will repay you when i come back but uh, uh, and that, and that's the end of the story now can you see in this story the difficulty and the sacrifice can you see the willingness to give of one's time resources, energy, effort, all because he was willing to suffer with. Now, Christ suffered the most for. Notice what he did, and we talked about it this morning. He suffered with. He descended from above. He did not count Equality with God, a thing to hold on to and not to let go, but he let go and came and took on the form of man an insult to his glory and suffered with. He became man. He suffered for our good. And that's an example of here that we have of this Samaritan. He went, he set, he poured, he gave, he took, um, and he repaid. All for the sake of someone who might view him as an enemy. Someone who did not love him. Someone who was not called his brother or his neighbor. And Jesus says... At the end of this in verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to them, you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. Jesus has redefined, not redefined. He has corrected their understanding of the neighbor. Now here's the here's uh no I won't go there yet. So what we're beginning to see in Jesus correcting them is that our love is not reserved to a particular group of people. Most importantly, not reserved to the people who are easy to love. The people who are easy to love and we'll talk more about that in just a minute but let's let's step back to Matthew 4 or Matthew 5 I'm sorry let's read 44 again but also finish it with 45 we'll get to our next point here in verse 45 so we'll start in 44 read on to 45 there are two important words that start in 45 but we'll see them as we read but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. so that so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. So here we have a very, very important um, teaching or doctrine that run throughout Scripture, and that is the family of God, the family of God. And so, one thing that we have to be sure, there's quite a few things that we could talk about with this statement, with verse 45. But some things we have to remember. We cannot read this as this. If you want to become a son or daughter of the Father, you need to love this way. It doesn't... It, it, it is not implying that to be good before God, you have to love this way. If your, if your desire to, to stand before God in a manner that is worthy and you are going to try to love the way Jesus has told you, and that's the way you're going to please God, what you're going to end up doing is you're going to end up being like the guy who was asking the question to Jesus about who is my neighbor. I'm sorry, I I want to say that maybe in a different way. We have to remember that you are justified before God by faith and faith alone. Not how well you love someone. You can't read this and say, Oh, only those who love their enemy are the ones who are going to be good before God. Let me ask you a question. Have you been justified before the Lord? Are you in Christ? Have you been saved? I hope the answer is yes. My next question will be, How well have you loved your enemy? Me not so good. If our justification if our stance within the family of god was based on how well we love our enemy, if it was based on how we loved our spouse, we would be in a lot of trouble. a lot of trouble. so do you know how you come into the family of god? you could i could say i could give you a bunch of different answers but there's one i want you to hear. adoption. You were adopted into the family of God. So, not not that you were uh, a child who had the greatest talent or, or the cutest face. And they were like, I just have to have that child because of how great of a child they are. I want to bring them into my family. The children of God that are adopted into the family of God are diseased and ugly but yet God in His love brings in sinners brings in a family of misfits and He does it through the elder brother Jesus the Christ who, who is the perfect son who is the one with all the great talent who is the the one that you look at and marvel at. And it's through Him that we are brought into the family of God. And as you know, this is only through being born again. So we have. there's one more thing I want to say about this passage, kind of out of context. And that is, we can't get lost in this um, idea of, that all mankind are children of God. All mankind are not in a saving sense children of God. We cannot say that we have to do this way or behave this way or to allow this happen because, oh, all people are children of God. That's not biblical. All people are made in the image of God. All people in some sense are born of God as as they have come from they would not exist if they were not created but the family of God the children of God are only those who come in by the elder brother by the son and only them have the blessings only them are heirs only them Do they belong to the kingdom? And so we have to be careful as we live in the world and call everyone children of God, sons and daughters of God, because we might give them a false understanding of their position before God. And we do not want that. Uh, So let's, let's move on and... Let's look at this next statement that he says. Now, I I, I spoke too soon. Turn to um, John chapter 8. Jesus is going to help us to clarify this point. And here's really what I was trying to get at. The Bible's clear you're either a son and daughter of God or a son and daughter of Satan. Unless you be in Christ, you are a son and daughter of the devil. So if you read chapter 8, especially in 31 through 36, you see the is you see the 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 Jews Who are pushing back against Jesus say, We're offspring of Abraham, right? But in 39, they say to him, They say to Jesus, in chapter 8 of John, verse 39, Abraham is our father. That's what they say to Jesus. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. Now, keep, now, we're going back to covenant talk there. Remember how we said, All people in Christ. Are the sons of Abraham? Jesus is inferring that. if you were Abraham's children, children of the promise, children of faith, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. Now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. That is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father you are doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. That was a, that was a jab at Jesus for his him being born out of uh, before Joseph and Mary were wed. We have one father, even God. And Jesus in verse 42 said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Here it is. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. So let's just stop that. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Now, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. You see the difference there? You see that? Your fruit reveals the kind of tree you are. How many times have you heard someone say, I saw Johnny running around the other day. He looked just like his daddy at that age? Are you watching him? Maybe you're going to a high school basketball game and you hear, you hear those old guys in the corner and they're like, oh yeah, Timmy, he shoots it just like his daddy did. What are they saying? But that the, the son reminds them of the father. And Jesus is telling them here, if you are a son of God, you must remind people of who your father is. And your fruit will, it will show one of two things. That your father is God, or your father is the devil. So here's what I want us to do right now, because we are not going to get through this. I just want to ask you this morning... would someone look at your life and say he looks like his daddy she's acting like her father I could also ask you do you even do you have an understanding of what that should be who Do you reflect in your life the love of God, which loves even your enemy, or does it reflect a self focused love? That one, not of God the Father, not of Christ Jesus the Son but of the devil. You can't say I do one sometime and one the other. Or I'm working real hard to be better so I look more like Jesus. Let's just finish in Romans 8 with that in mind. Romans 8. Verse 12, and if you notice as you read Paul's letters, you see this whole family idea. He begins most of his letters with, thanks be to God our Father, through Jesus Christ our Lord, mentioned Him as the Son, and he refers to those in the church as brothers, as sisters. Verse 12, so then brothers... We are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. He's warning his fellow Christians, those who claim to be Christians, those who profess to be Christians, if your life does not reflect obedience to the words of Jesus, you will die. Not meaning physically, But eternally. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, your body, you know what it wants to do? Hate your enemy. Your body even wants to hate your neighbor. But if by the Spirit of God you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And we were reminded, it is hard. It is narrow. But here's here's the good news. Verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. As sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, our elder brother, provided. Here's that so that from verse from chapter five of Matthew, provided we suffer with him. Now, how did we say that he suffered? He suffered by loving us. Do you understand that Christ suffered by loving you to the point of death on a cross? And provide you suffer with him in order that you might also be glorified with him we can't have the glory of Christ provide that we don't suffer with him which means we love like he loved hard and humble selfless and dirty only by the cross of Christ can you begin To bear that fruit. And so I I ask and pray that if your faith is not in Christ, that you would repent of your sins and believe on Him. I would pray and ask that if you have failed to obey Him in this one command to love your enemies, then I ask you to cry out for forgiveness. I ask you to go to your enemy. To confess your sin. And express the love of Christ. And if they slap you on the face, you know, turn the other cheek. Provide we suffer with him, we will also be glorified with him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you.